Chapter eighty four. Middlemarch. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Middlemarch by George Eliot. Chapter eighty four. Though it be song of old and young that I should be to blame, theirs be the charge that spoke so large in hurting of my name. The Not Brown Maid. It was just after the Lords had thrown out the Reform Bill, that explains how Mr. Cadwallader came to be walking on the slope of the lawn near the great conservatory at Freshet Hall, holding the Times in his hands behind him, while he talked with the trout-fisher's dispassionateness about the prospects of the country to Sir James Chetham. Mrs. Cadwallader, the dowager Lady Chetham, and Celia were sometimes seated on garden chairs, sometimes walking to meet little Arthur, who was being drawn in his chariot, and, as becomes the infantine Buddha, was sheltered by his sacred umbrella with handsome silken fringe. The ladies also talked politics, though more fitfully. Mrs. Cadwallader was strong on the intended creation of peers. She had it for certain from her cousin that Trubury had gone over to the other side entirely at the instigation of his wife, who had scented peerages in the air from the very first introduction of the reform question, and would sign her soul away to take precedence of her younger sister, who had married a baronet. Lady Chetham thought that such conduct was very reprehensible, and remembered that Mrs. Trubury's mother was a Miss Walshingham of Melspring. Celia confessed it was nicer to be lady than Mrs., and that Dodo never minded about precedence if she could have her own way. Mrs. Cadwallader held that it was a poor satisfaction to take precedence when everybody about you knew that you had not a drop of good blood in your veins, and Celia, again stopping to look at Arthur, said, "'It should be very nice, though, if he were a viscount, and his lordship's little tooth coming through. He might have been if James had been an earl.' "'My dear Celia,' said the dowager, "'James's title is worth far more than any new earldom.' "'I never wished his father to be anything else than Sir James.' "'Oh, I only meant about Arthur's little tooth,' said Celia, comfortably. "'But see, here is my uncle coming.' She tripped off to meet her uncle, while Sir James and Mr. Cadwallader came forward to make one group with the ladies. Celia had slipped her arm through her uncle's, and he patted her hand with a rather melancholy, "'Well, my dear,' as they approached, it was evident that Mr. Brooke was looking dejected, and this was fully accounted for by the state of politics— and as he was shaking hands all round without more greeting than a, "'Well, you're all here, you know,' and the rector said laughingly, "'Don't take the throwing out of the bill so much to heart, Brooke. You've got all the riff-raff of the country on your side.' "'The bill, eh?' "'Ah,' said Mr. Brooke, with a mild distractedness of manner. "'Thrown out, you know, eh? The lords are going too far, though. They'll have to pull up. Sad news, you know. I mean, here at home, sad news. But you must not blame me, Chetham.' "'What is the matter?' said Sir James. "'Not another gamekeeper shot, I hope.' "'It's what I should expect when a fellow like Trapping Bass is let off so easily.' "'Gamekeeper? No, let us go in. I can tell you all in the house, you know,' said Mr. Brooke, nodding at the Cadwalladers, to show that he included them in his confidence. "'As to poachers like Trapping Bass, you know, Chetham,' he continued as they were entering, "'when you are a magistrate you'll not find it so easy to commit. Severity is all very well. But it's a great deal easier when you've got somebody to do it for you. You have a soft place in your heart yourself, you know. You're not a Draco, a Jeffreys, that sort of thing.' Mr. Brooke was evidently in a state of nervous perturbation. When he had something painful to tell, it was usually his way to introduce it among a number of disjointed particulars, as if it were a medicine that would get a milder flavour by mixing. He continued his chat with Sir James about the poachers until they were all seated, 
and mrs cadwallader impatient of this drivelling said i am dying to know the sad news the gamekeeper is not shot that is settled what is it then well it's a very trying thing you know said mr brooke i'm glad you and the rector are here it's, it's a family matter but you will help us all to bear it cadwallader i've got to break it to you my dear here mr brooke looked at celia you've no notion what it is you know and chetham it will annoy you uncommonly but you see you have not been able to hinder it any more than i have there's something singular in things they come round you know it must be about dodo said celia who had been used to think of her sister as the dangerous part of the family machinery she had seated herself on a low stool against her husband's knee for god's sake let us hear what it is said sir james well you know chetham i couldn't help casabon's will it was a sort of will to make things worse exactly said sir james but what is worse uh, dorothy is going to be married again you know said mr brooke nodding towards celia who immediately looked up at her husband with a frightened glance and put her hand on his knee sir james was almost white with anger but he did not speak merciful heaven said mrs cadwallader not a young ladislaw brooke nodded saying yes to ladislaw and then fell into a prudential silence you see humphrey said mrs cadwallader waving her arm towards her husband another time you'll admit that i have some foresight or rather you will contradict me and be just as blind as ever you suppose that the young gentleman has gone out of the country so he might be and yet come back said the rector quietly when did you learn this said sir james not liking to hear any one else speak though finding it difficult to speak himself yesterday said mr brooke meekly i went to lowick dorothea sent for me you know it had come about quite suddenly neither of them had any idea two days ago not any idea you know there's something singular in things but dorothea is quite determined it is no use supposing i put it strongly to her i did my duty chatham but she can act as she likes you know it would have been better if i had called him out and shot him a year ago said sir james not from a bloody-mindedness but because he needed something strong to say really james that would have been very disagreeable said celia be reasonable chetham look at the affair more quietly said mr cadwallader sorry to see his good-natured friend so overmastered by anger that is not so very easy for a man of any dignity with any sense of right when the affair happens to be in his own family said sir james still in his white indignation it is perfectly scandalous if ladislaw had had a spark of honour he would have gone out of the country at once and never shown his face in it again however i am not surprised the day after casaubon's funeral i said what ought to be done but i was not listened to you wanted what was impossible you know chetham said mr brooke you wanted him shipped off i told you ladislaw was not to be done as we liked with he has his ideas he was a remarkable fellow i always said he was a remarkable fellow yes said sir james unable to repress a retort it is rather a pity you formed that high opinion of him we are indebted to that for his being lodged in this neighbourhood we are indebted to that for seeing a woman like dorothea degrading herself by marrying him sir james made a little stoppage between his clauses the words not coming easily a man so marked by her husband's will that delicacy ought to have forbidden her from seeing him again oh takes her out of a proper rank into poverty has the madness to accept such a sacrifice has always had the objectionable position a bad origin and i believe is a man of little principle and light character that is my opinion sir james ended emphatically turning aside and crossing his leg i pointed everything out to her said mr brooke apologetically i mean the poverty in abandoning her position i said my dear you don't know what it is to live on seven hundred a year and have no carriage and that kind of thing and go amongst people who don't know who you are i put it strongly to her but i advise you to talk to dorothea yourself the fact is she has a dislike to casaubon's property you will hear what she says you know no excuse me i shall not said sir james with more coolness i cannot bear to see her again it is too painful it hurts me too much that a woman like dorothea should have done what is wrong be just chetham said the easy large-lipped rector who objected to all this unnecessary discomfort 
Mrs. Casabon may be acting imprudently. She's giving up a fortune for the sake of a man, and we men have so poor an opinion of each other that we can hardly call the woman wise who does that. But I think you should not condemn it as a wrong action, in the strict sense of the word. Yes, I do, answered Sir James. I think that Dorothea commits a wrong action in marrying Ladislaw. My dear fellow, we are rather apt to consider an act wrong because it is unpleasant to us, said the rector quietly. Like many men who take life easily, he had the knack of saying a home truth, occasionally, to those who felt themselves virtuously out of temper. Sir James took out his handkerchief and began to bite the corner. "'It is very dreadful of Toto, though,' said Celia, wishing to justify her husband. "'She said she never would marry again. Not anybody at all.' "'I heard her say the same thing myself,' said Lady Chetham majestically, as if this were royal evidence." "'Oh, there is usually a silent exception in such cases,' said Mrs. Cadwallader. "'The only wonder to me is that any of you are surprised. You did nothing to hinder it. If you would have had Lord Trilton down here to woo her with his philanthropy, he might have carried her off before the year was over. There was no safety in anything else. Mr. Casabon had prepared all this as beautifully as possible. He made himself disagreeable, or it pleased God to make him so, and then he dared her to contradict him. It's the way to make any trumpery tempting, to ticket it at a high price in that way.' "'I don't know what you mean by wrong, Cadwallader,' said Sir James, still feeling a little stung, and turning round in his chair towards the rector. "'He's not a man we can take into the family. At least, I must speak for myself,' he continued, carefully keeping his eyes off Mr. Brooke. "'I suppose others will find his society too pleasant to care about the propriety of the thing.' "'Well, you know, Chetham,' said Mr. Brooke, good-humouredly, nursing his leg, "'I can't turn my back on Dorothea. I must be a father to her up to a certain point. I said, my dear, I won't refuse to give you away.' I had spoken strongly before, but I can cut off the entail, you know. It will cost money and be troublesome, but I can do it, you know. Mr. Brooke nodded at Sir James, and felt that he was both showing his own force of resolution, and propitiating what was just in the baronet's vexation. He had hit on a more ingenious mode of parrying than he was aware of. He had touched a motive of which Sir James was ashamed. The mass of his feeling about Dorothea's marriage to Ladislaw was due partly to excusable prejudice, or even justifiable opinion, partly to a jealous repugnance hardly less in Ladislaw's case than in Casabot's. He was convinced that the marriage was a fatal one for Dorothea, but amid that mass ran a vein of which he was too good and honourable a man to lack the avowal even to himself. It was undeniable that the union of the two estates, Tipton and Freshet, lying charmingly within a ring-fence, was a prospect that flattered him for his son and heir. Hence, when Mr. Brooke noddingly appealed to that motive, Sir James felt a sudden embarrassment. There was a stoppage in his throat. He even blushed. He had found more words than usual in the first jet of his anger, but Mr. Brooke's propitiation was more clogging to his tongue than Mr. Cadwallader's caustic hint. But Celia was glad to have room for speech after her uncle's suggestion of the marriage ceremony, and she said, though with a little eagerness of manner, as if the question had turned on an invitation to dinner, "'Do you mean that Dodo is going to be married directly, uncle?' "'In three weeks, you know.' said Mr. Brooke helplessly. "'I can do nothing to hinder it, Cadwallader,' he added, turning for a little countenance toward the rector, who said, "'I should not make any fuss about it. If she likes to be poor, that is her affair. Nobody would have said anything if she had married the young fellow because he was rich. Plenty of beneficed clergy are poorer than they will be. Here is Eleanor,' continued the provoking husband. "'She vexed her friends by me. I had hardly a thousand a year. I was a lout. Nobody could see anything in me. My shoes were not the right cut. All the men wondered how a woman would like me.' "'Upon my word, I must take Ladislaw's part until I hear more harm of him.' "'Humphrey, that is all sophistry, and you know it,' said his wife. "'Everything is all one. That is the beginning and the end with you, as if you had not been a cadwallader. Does anyone suppose that I would have taken such a monster as you by any other name?' 
and a clergyman too observed lady chetham with approbation eleanor cannot be said to have descended below her rank it is difficult to say what mr ladislaw is eh james sir james gave a small grunt which was less respectful than his usual mode of answering his mother celia looked up at him like a thoughtful kitten it must be admitted that his blood is a frightful mixture said mrs cadwallader the casabon cuttlefish to begin with and then a rebellious polish fiddler or dancing-master what was it and then an old clo nonsense eleanor said the rector rising it is time for us to go after all he is a pretty sprig said mrs cadwallader rising too and wishing to make amends he's like the fine old crickly portraits before the idiots came in i'll go with you said mr brooke starting up at the lecture you must all come and dine with me to-morrow you know eh celia my dear you will james won't you said celia taking her husband's hand oh of course if you like said sir james pulling down his waistcoat but unable yet to adjust his face good-humouredly that is to say if it is not to meet anybody else no 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 said mr brooke understanding the condition dorothea will not come you know unless you had been to see her when sir james and celia were alone she said do you mind about my having the carriage to go to lowick james what now directly he answered with some surprise yes it is very important said celia remember celia i cannot see her said sir james not as she gave up marrying what is the use of saying that however i am going to the stables i'll tell briggs to bring the carriage round celia thought it was of great use if not to say that at least to take a journey to lowick in order to influence dorothea's mind all through their girlhood she had felt that she could act on her sister by a word judiciously placed by opening a little window for the daylight of her own understanding to enter among the strange coloured lamps by which dodo habitually saw and celia the matron naturally felt more able to advise her childless sister how could any one understand dodo so well as celia did or love her so tenderly dorothea busy in her boudoir felt a glow of pleasure at the sight of her sister so soon after the revelation of her intended marriage she had prefigured to herself even with exaggeration the disgust of her friends and she had even feared that celia might be kept aloof from her oh kitty i am delighted to see you said dorothea putting her hands on celia's shoulders and beaming on her i almost thought you would not come to me i have not brought arthur because i was in a hurry said celia and they sat down on two small chairs opposite each other with their knees touching you know dodo it is very bad said celia in her placid guttural looking as prettily free from humours as possible you have disappointed us all so and i can't think that it ever will be you never can go and live in that way and then there are all your plans you never can have thought of that james would have taken any trouble for you and you might have gone all your life doing what you liked on the contrary dear said dorothea i never could do anything that i liked i've never carried out any plan yet because you always wanted things that wouldn't do but other plans would have come and how can you marry mr ladislaw that we none of us ever thought you could marry it shocks james so dreadfully and then it is all so different from what you have always been you would have mr casaubon because he had such a great soul and was so dismal and learned and now to think of marrying mr ladislaw who has got no estate or anything i suppose it is because you must be making yourself uncomfortable in some way or other dorothea laughed oh, it is very serious dodo said celia becoming more impressive how will you live and you will go away among queer people and i shall never see you and you won't mind about little arthur and i always thought you would celia's rare tears had got into her eyes and the corners of her mouth were agitated dear celia said dorothea with tender gravity if you don't ever see me it will not be my fault yes it will said celia with the same touching distortion of her small features 
How can I come to you, or have you with me, when James can't bear it? That is because he thinks it is not right. He thinks you are so wrong, Dodo. But you always were wrong, only I can't help loving you, and nobody can think where you will live. Where can you go?' "'I am going to London,' said Dorothea. "'And how can you always live in a street? And you will be so poor. I could give you half my things. Only how can I, when I never see you?' "'Bless you, Kitty,' said Dorothea, with gentle warmth. "'Take comfort. Perhaps James will forgive me some time. But it would be much better if you would not be married.' said Celia, drying her eyes and returning to her argument. "'Then there would be nothing uncomfortable, and you would not do what nobody thought you could do. James always said you ought to be a queen, but this is not at all being like a queen. You know what mistakes you have always been making, Dodo, and this is another. Nobody thinks Mr. Ladislaw a proper husband for you, and you said you would never be married again.' "'It is quite true that I might be a wiser person, Celia,' said Dorothea, "'and I said I might have done something better if I had been better, but this is what I am going to do.' I have promised to marry Mr. Ladislaw, and I am going to marry him." The tone in which Dorothea said this was a note that Celia had long learned to recognize. She was silent a few moments, and then said, as if she had dismissed all contest, "'Is he very fond of you, Dodo?' "'I hope so. I am very fond of him.' Well, "'That is nice,' said Celia comfortably. "'Only I rather you had such a sort of husband as James is, with a place very near, that I could drive to.' Dorothea smiled and Celia looked rather meditative. Presently she said, "'I cannot think how it all came about.' Celia thought it would be pleasant to hear the story. "'I dare say not,' said Dorothea, pinching her sister's chin. "'If you knew how it came about, it would not seem wonderful to you.' "'Can't you tell me?' said Celia, settling her arms cosily. "'No, dear. You would have to feel with me, else you would never know.'" End of chapter 84 as read for LibriVox by Madame Tusk, www.rlowalrus.sitesled.com.